At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit commonwealthmatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, hey, we are recording the program in Somerset, Kentucky. I am with a special guest, uh, an attorney with a group called Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, A.C. Donahue. A.C., welcome to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Richard. Hey, uh, A.C. and I did a, a meeting earlier today with a group of pastors and, and uh, church leaders talking about a really big issue that uh, came up here in Somerset uh, recently, just in the last week. It's a proposal to the city council that would elevate sexual orientation and gender identity to its civil rights code. And these things are called fairness ordinances, and they're meant to um, uh, stop unjust discrimination, uh, particularly towards those in the LGBT community. And on the face of it, they, they sound like they're a good thing. In fact, who's for discrimination? It's, it's a dirty word. It sounds like a dirty word. Who's uh, against fairness? But when you peel away at what's underneath this type of ordinance, you see some, some real challenges. So, AC, I think we should talk about what is a, a SOGI, what is, what is that, a SOGI ordinance? So SOGI stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. Sexual orientation would be heterosexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, um, and then it could include pedophilia and, and other things of that nature. Uh, when we talk about gender identity, then gender identity speaks to more than male, more than female. It, it can be any number of things. Uh, several years ago, Facebook identified uh, no less than 56 genders. Uh, some of them, for instance, are gender fluid, other, neither, uh, things of that nature. So the, the problem with uh, these things is that they're quite subjective. Yeah, in fact, this is what um, the American Psychological Association says that sexual orientation and gender identity is in, or sexual orientation is an enduring pattern of emotional, romantic, and or sexual attractions to men, women, or both sexes. Sexual orientation also refers to a person's sense of identity based on those attractions, related behaviors, and membership in a community of others who share those attractions. And the, the problem with this is, as you shared in the meeting earlier today, is that it's very, very subjective. It's, it's some, something that's self-disclosed, it's self-defined. And when you start talking about putting something into the law that's subjective, I think we have, we have some problems, don't we? We do have problems because the whole concept of, of it being subjective, take a term, for instance, gender fluid, that should uh, warn you immediately that this is a person that has chosen uh, a, a gender identity that is constantly fluid. So one moment they could be male, next moment they could be female, next moment they could be neither, next moment they could be other, 
and a host of other things. And and so how do you deal with that person? Yeah, yeah, that makes it makes it tricky, doesn't it? Especially when you're talking about young people, students who it's hard enough to be a, a teenager, middle schooler, or young high school student. You get enough challenges, but when you throw into the mix that there's gender confusion, uh, it makes it makes it very complicated. So in the scientific community, I want to step back to that. There is no agreed upon understanding. Even though I read the definition by the American Psychological Association, there are other parts of the scientific community that uh, say that they're, that they're in disagreement on what how you define sexual orientation. Um, this is what Paul McHugh said. He's a professor, psychiatry in chief, psychiatrist in chief at Johns Hopkins University for years. He said that uh, there is no scientific consensus on how to define sexual orientation, and the various definitions proposed by experts produce substantially different groups of people. Sexual orientation and gender identity are subjective, self-disclosed, and self-defined. This is by a person who is this, was the psychiatrist-in-chief at Johns, Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins University, by the way, did pioneer work in uh, sex reassignment surgery uh, years ago. And they did it to, to help people through their, the idea was to help them through their gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria is essentially when you are born one gender, very clearly male or very clearly female, but they identify with the other gender. So Johns Hopkins was working in sex reassignment surgery. They ended up stopping that. And it was because they found that people after years of having that surgery were worse off than before they had it. And Paul McHugh has become an outspoken person against this normalization, uh, mainstreaming of uh, transgenderism, which we're seeing today very, very quickly. It's it's becoming very rapidly something that three years ago wasn't really talked about, wasn't taken seriously. And now we're talking about major policies being changed, whether it's at the Somerset City Council or at the school level, where policies that affirm uh, an individual's right to change their gender identity. That's true, Richard. And one of the things, too, that uh, we have to understand is that this is all changing so rapidly. For instance, uh, we all have heard the terminology LGBT, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And uh, for a long time, the T was not added, but now it is. But now it's not even LGBT. It's now LGBT. Q-I-A-P-K, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, polygamous, polyamorous, and kink. Wow. And so that, so that, and it's been called the alphabet term because you've got all the letters of the alphabet. One thing that's been brought up regarding this is these, as these terms grow, it's fascinating that they're focusing on different aspects of human sexuality heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, transgender. But, you know, we know biblically, uh, AC, that uh, we're made male and female, uh, and that sex is part of who we are. This is part of how God made us. Now, he tells us to keep it within the bounds of marriage. Sex is good, but it's, it's best in marriage. He gives us moral boundaries. But in this movement, the, the LGBT and then the other letters that follow, they identify themselves primarily by their sexuality, when in reality, we're so much more than just our sexuality. That is a part of our life, but it doesn't define our lives. That's correct. And, and this is something I think we need to get a handle on. If we're going to be healthy um, 
human beings, flourishing human beings with proper relationships, we need to begin with the reality that there's a creator who makes us in his image. He gives us moral boundaries. He gives us gifts, by the way, like sex, to celebrate and to enjoy within the boundaries. But when we reject the creator, when we reject those boundaries, we end up with uh, things that we're dealing with today. So, AC, I want us to come back. We need to take a break here in just a moment. But I want us to come back and talk about why should people be concerned about proposed SOGI ordinances? I mean, on the face of it, they sound good. We don't want to see people hurt. We don't want to see people marginalized. And I think that's the intent behind this uh, proposal here in Somerset. But uh, I want to talk about uh, some of the downside with these ordinances when we come back in just a minute. At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson, and I'm with A.C. Donahue, an attorney in Somerset, Kentucky, who is an affiliate attorney with Alliance Defending Freedoms, and they're working to shore up First Amendment freedoms uh, here in uh, Kentucky and across the country as well. We're talking about a proposed SOGI ordinance. It's SOGI stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity, and uh, the city council is going to consider this uh, in the very near future. And AC, we're unpacking this issue and talking about uh, some of the different aspects involved. And uh, I'm wondering, on the face of it, it sounds so good, a fairness ordinance, uh, an ordinance that would stop people from discriminating in areas of, of, of the workplace, housing, and in public accommodations. And, you know, who's for, who's for discrimination in those areas? I mean, yeah, and that's the problem. I mean, the way they frame it, too, of course, you know, they're very intentional, very purposeful on the way they frame it. They will never refer to these as SOGI ordinances. You'll hear them referred to as fairness ordinances. I mean, who does not want to be fair? But the problem is, is in their application, because where we can have objective things like race, color, religion, yeah. national origin, uh, sex, and age— when you get into gender identity and sexual orientation, that is wholly subjective. And so then how do you take a law and apply it using subjective terminology? Yeah, and that's a good question. So it must keep you attorneys busy when you have a subjective law, either busy or confused. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure which, which it is. So why should we, why should anybody be concerned about this for that matter? If, if, there's a law that really is it's subjective, it's not clearly defined. Uh, when you have a law like this on the books, um, by the way, I need to take a step back here. I do not, I'm not aware of any actual complaints that have been brought forward to the city council about discrimination taking place in these other areas. And that's usually the first thing that needs to happen. Why is the law needed? So that has not been demonstrated to my knowledge. But then to put a law on the books that might feel good or make people feel good uh, when it's not clear uh, 
uh, when when you don't even have a clear definition of of what sexual orientation and gender identity is, or an accepted definition uh, in the scientific community, uh, what what can happen when something like that gets on the books? Besides confusing all of you attorneys out there. So one of the things that can happen, particularly to business leaders, uh, small business owners, uh, landlords uh, that own rental property, is that you can be taken to task for violating these uh, SOGI ordinances. For instance, uh, a case that Alliance Defending Freedom has been working on for quite some time is the hands-on original case out of Lexington, Kentucky. In Lexington, they had a SOGI ordinance, and what happened is uh, a group of people came to Hands-On Original and said, hey, can you give us a quote for some T-shirts? We want this many T-shirts, this color, using this type of cloth. Hands-On Original gave them a price for that quote, and then they came back and said, here's our artwork, and their artwork was for a gay pride parade or week. The owner of Hands-On Original said, hey, I respect uh, who you are and what this is about, uh, but this would violate my sincerely held religious beliefs, and I'm not able to do it. But I did contact another vendor who said that they would be glad uh, to do your order for the exact same price that I quoted to you. Uh, That was unacceptable to that group, and they filed a complaint through Lexington, Kentucky's Human Rights Commission and who ultimately found them guilty, and, and they've been in litigation ever since. So they've been in litigation, I believe it's eight years, seven, yes. eight years, something like that. I understand that they that Blaine has racked up over a half million dollars in legal fees. Fortunately, ADF is, is donating their time, but it's still the emotional cost. It's the time away from his business. In fact, when this became public, he became a target. He lost business. Blaine has been... Uh, targeted as being bigoted and homophobic and all these things. That's not the case. I know Blaine personally. You know him. And uh, he's a he's a very uh, uh, solid person, gentle person. But he has deep convictions. And we see these laws, these SOGI laws, are weaponized against people of faith. And in this case of Blaine Adamson, we saw him as a target there, unfortunately, even though the gay pride uh, uh, parade organizers were given a, a, a quote for a similar product similar quality, same price. They weren't willing to do that. They wanted to drag Blaine through the legal ringer, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, and the thing is is that Blaine is in the business of publishing a message. That's what he puts on T-shirts, the, his creative design in publishing these messages. So the organization was demanding that he surrender his First Amendment free speech rights and say, we want you to publish our message, and we're going to force you to do it. And that's contrary to everything the First Amendment stands for, doesn't it? I mean, we have freedom of speech, and it means that you should not be compelled by another person or by a governmental agency. And I think what the Human Rights Commission was doing was they were trying to apply that law to him, to to enforcing him to print something that violated his First Amendment rights. And what's even, as you know, uh, even stronger is the Kentucky Constitution in Article 5 that talks about the freedom of conscience, what you think, how you believe that's inside of you, more so than even the action of speech or religious exercise and things of that nature. So we're seeing these laws used against other 
entities, uh, the, the bakers, the florists, the, the photographers, those that particularly cater to the wedding industry, and uh, those that have deep convictions, those Christians often, in, in many cases, that have deep convictions against same-sex marriage, they're saying, I don't want to participate. I don't want to offer, offer my talents or services to be part of that. And there was a significant ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court uh, back in the summer that vindicated Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. And Jack refused to bake a cake with a message on it that would have blessed a same-sex wedding ceremony. Uh, Victory for for those who believe in the First Amendment and a victory for those who believe in uh, the ability of business owners to do their business according to their convictions. Do you see that case um, maybe uh, alerting those on the other side that would push these SOGI ordinances? Do you see that as maybe a, uh, a red flag to them, or is that changed the debate at all, what the Supreme Court did? Well, I think it, it certainly has changed the debate, and we even go back to the Hobby Lobby case because one of the things that Hobby Lobby was attempting to do in their uh, belief system is that they said, look, we, we have a religious underpinning. And, and the other side said, no, you can't have, you're a corporation. You're under the law, an artificial person. You can't have this belief system. And the U.S. Supreme Court affirmed Hobby Lobby and said, yes, you can. A, a, a corporation, a for-profit corporation can have a belief system. And they do in other areas, too. If you look at Hobby Lobby, they don't open on Sundays. Right. They let their employees off and they close the public. Well, that comes from their belief system. They believe that we're made to work six days and on the seventh day we're to rest. And uh, by the way, their belief system also benefits a lot of the people who work there because they pay, as I understand it, about double what minimum wage is in the right. country. And it's because they want to treat their employees well. So uh, we have seen some good rulings in favor of uh, corporations, good rulings in favor of business owners like Jack Phillips that want to run their businesses according to their convictions. But here we are in Somerset. We're talking about this proposed SOGI ordinance. It's coming up. The city council is likely to vote on it in the near future. And we're going to talk about in the next segment about what people can do to uh, to stop this ordinance from happening. It's not a done deal. And we're going to give some advice as to what can be done to address it. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Richard Nelson with the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, and I want to thank you for listening to the Commonwealth Matters. Our goal is to help you better understand the important issues of the day, the issues of life, marriage, and religious liberty. But that isn't all we do. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is working to educate legislators and policymakers about these bedrock values so they can defend them while serving in Frankfurt. We are in regular conversations with state leaders on both sides of the aisle, encouraging them to uphold what Kentuckians like you value. But we need your help. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit group that only exists by the grace of God and the generosity of its donors. Would you consider a donation today to the Commonwealth Policy Foundation so that our work might continue? Please visit our website at commonwealthpolicyfoundation.org. There you'll find some easy ways you can help us accomplish this important work. Again, go to CommonwealthPolicyFoundation.org and consider a gift today. And thanks in advance for any help you can offer.
Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson, and I am in Somerset, Kentucky, recording this program with A.C. Donahue, an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom. And we're talking about the proposed SOGI ordinance, otherwise known as a fairness ordinance, and uh, what people who are opposed to this uh, can do to stop it. In the previous segment, we talked about some of the uh, dangers and some of how these laws have been abused. And uh, we don't see any cases of discrimination happening here. Uh, We've only really seen how these laws have been used to go after people of faith that want to run their businesses according to their convictions, Uh, not in a harmful way, not in a way where they're hiding behind their convictions and doing things that are harmful, but in a way that's deeply rooted in in biblical convictions, and uh, the the force of law is coming down on them. Um, But AC, we we talked earlier today to a group of pastors about uh, what can be done to stop this thing from happening. So what are some practical things that that can be done? So one of the things that every good citizen needs to do is, is become informed about the issue. Just don't take the headline and run off of that because you'll look foolish. So in an instance like this, you want to get the ordinance. You want to read the ordinance. You want to read what people are saying about it, hear from people about what they're saying about it. Why is why are some people calling it a fairness ordinance? Why are some people calling it a SOGI ordinance? Understand those distinctions. So be informed, number one. Number two, it's important to get involved. And get involved means contacting the legislators. The city council is a legislative branch of city government. The mayor is the executive branch of city government. So it's the legislators, the city council members, who are going to vote on the ordinance. Those are the people that need to be reached, and uh, you need to uh, clearly and distinctly set forth your reason of why they should vote no on the fairness ordinance. You want to be polite. You want to have good manners. You don't want to be emotional and things of that nature. So that's going to be the second thing that people need to do. So they need to be informed, need to be fully informed of what's going on and what the ordinance means. They need to be willing to to attend that meeting that's coming up in the near future. And we do need people to speak. And when they speak, they need to speak, again, in, in, from an informed angle, but speak res- respectfully. They need to speak in, with the right tone and with the right motive. And that's so important to, to realize that there's something under the surface here. What we're seeing are surface issues. Um, surface arguments, but really at, uh, at the heart level, it's a hard issue. And uh, we need to realize there are real people on the other side. Many of them feel like, have been hurt or might have been marginalized, and we need to treat them as real people with respect and with dignity. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them, uh, but we need to treat them with, with respect. Um, I would say uh, as well, there, there's some other aspects to this that, that can be done as, as uh uh, talking with friends and family members and neighbors about this around the dinner table or around the water cooler at work. Have conversations about this uh, for those Christians to, to bring a biblical worldview into the conversation. One reason why we are dealing with this, and I'm so convinced, is that we have lost the idea of moral absolutes in our society. We've pushed God out. God is something that most Americans believe in God, most they do, and most Americans identify as Christian, but he has no practical place in our public arena. And 
the consequence of that, when, there's, when God isn't part of the public arena or part of the political uh, fabric, then we become a law unto ourselves. We have no moral reference point by which to judge right and wrong, and that's where we are right now. Uh, and no society is safe very long to, to operate that way when an individual AC can define their own gender, when an individual can define their own reality, when an individual or a group of individuals can put into law something that would protect what Christians believe to be immoral behavior, um, and then for that law to be used against people of faith, we are on the cusp of something very dangerous in this country. Um, so that's the reality. But the, the, the truth is as well that we need to engage carefully, respectfully, realizing that those on the other side have in many cases been hurt or marginalized and proceed with care. One of the things that I'm reminded in Scripture is we are called ambassadors, is the word that's used in Scripture, is that we are ambassadors, emissaries of the body of Christ. And so when we go, we need to speak with the main word that is found in the Scriptures from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, and that is in love. And so I think that's important, that that should be the forefront of any speech or any comment that we make regarding this topic. I mean, yeah. the reality is, is that, you know, we know that love is quite commonly synonymous with sex. Yeah. And so the problem is with a lot of these things like bisexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, things, these are false loves. And so you have folks that have engaged in a false love, and, and they'll never be fulfilled by that. We have the truth. We have reason on our side. We have logic on our yeah. side. And so what wonderful thing could come about as a result of our work in this effort that we're able to give somebody a full and abundant life by seeking true love, real love, full love? I think, and those are very points well taken, good points, uh, is, is we approach this. If we come across as being for the community— for human flourishing, for the individuals, and pointing out what you just said. We want the fullness of, of what's right for them. And, and by the way, that's not your standard, and it's not Richard Nelson's standard, but we're talking about biblical standards, and we see those, those moral boundaries laid out in Scripture for us when it comes to whether it's what it constitutes a marriage to what's the appropriate sexual context. It's laid out for us there, and we can either embrace those principles as a people or we can reject them. And I believe that with by embracing them and living according to them, we can be blessed. We can have the fullness of what God intended for us to be, or if we reject them, uh, we do so at our own consequence. They're, yeah, they're, there certainly the Scripture makes clear that there are costs. Uh, you can either be blessed by following God's uh, thoughtful and loving plan for our lives, or we can receive the cost of refusing or rejecting what God has intended for us. Yeah. AC, we're running uh, out of time here, but I think what we're pointing to, and um, I, we need to make this clear, this is a tough conversation, challenging topic. Uh, there's a lot at stake, and there are people's lives at stake. There are community standards at stake. And I don't want us to come across as being judgmental or harsh or bigoted. And yet there's there's the reality there is there's an issue coming before the city commission here, city council. What are we going to do? How do we address it? And if we approach it from the right perspective with the right motive. 